Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of At War, the podcast by the Conflict Law Center. Today, we are very happy to have with us Dr. Fado Khan, who is an associate professor at LAMS, and he has been teaching there since 2001. He has a PhD in post-colonial studies from the University of Kent, where he taught for two years before returning to LAMS. His research interests include the partition of India, post-colonial literature, Shakespeare, and oral history. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you today. very much for inviting And no I'm problem. Very happy to be here. <laughs> I'm glad. So today we're going to be talking about quite a diverse topic, which is culture and its relationship to conflict. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a bit more generally, but locate this in South Asia. So we know that art, throughout all cultures, throughout all ages, has been used to promote, oppress, and recover from war. So perhaps the biggest legacy of violence we have here in the subcontinent is partition. So, and that has been the subject of much literature, theatre, and film. So, how do you think India and Pakistan have used the arts to recover? And I think perhaps recover is the wrong word from the brutality that we saw during partition. Thank you. And again, I think like one of the things that we need to understand uh, first is that there are various narratives which exist about. Uh, different events and for us uh, people in Pakistan one of the things that we have to see that even within the state narrative we don't really know I mean that's something that I ask students because I've been teaching a course on partition for over 20 years mm. uh, at, at, at LAMS which is that what is it that they what is it that 14th August represents is it independence or is it partition Okay. So and and these are two uh, 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 different things, even though they happen uh, simultaneously. Uh, the state uh, talks about independence, independence in the sense that that's when the imperial British imperialism kind of ends. But what it articulates is partition hmm. in terms of the violence, and that's where we kind of starting the conflict. is not with the british who are departing who had uh, occupied and colonized uh, uh, south asia for such a long time uh, but the narrative which emerges from the state's side is about partition so there is this almost kind of fundamental mm. uh, 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 difference uh, or uh, again like almost kind of slippage from one event uh, to the other we are saying that we are celebrating independence But if you're saying if you're celebrating independence and independence has to be from the British, okay. the narrative is about partition. So mm -hmm. we are, we don't say that on 14th August we are celebrating or we are talking about partition. We don't say that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there is this kind of uh, 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 dichotomy that 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 exists. On the other hand, uh, as I said, that you know, then what the state does is not just for Pakistan, for India, for any other state. the idea of nation the idea of narration the idea of narrative all these things are uh, almost kind of interlinked mm. nation uh, emerges from narrative narrative is what it's the story of how a nation is 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 formed as far as again partition is concerned there is a particular narrative that india and pakistan the states kind of come up with and usme one of the terms uh, i use for that is using uh, this this french post structuralist uh, deleuze and guattari's uh, uh, model which is that there are certain things which are linear mm -hmm. 
the state believes in linearity. It says that, okay, fine, in 1857, this event happened. Then in 19, I don't know, in 18, uh, I don't know, 88, another event happened. Then on this April 14th, 1940, this event happened. So there, there is a huge gap between these uh, numbers. But then what uh, happens is that at the end of the day, you have this straight line. Okay. Um, as if that these are somehow sequential uh, order in which things uh, 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 kind of follow. So and this is a rather simplistic narrative, not just about part uh, partition, but about any, any element. I mean, if you talk about the US, they have a particular narrative. Yeah. If you talk about Britain, they are kind of, you know, they have the longing for nost the nostalgia for the Raj and Flana and mm. Yeh and all that uh, stuff, but which basically was a colonial project which was about dehumanization and about violence on yeah. people who were not of uh, a European origin. So that's what mm. colonialism uh, 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 was about. Um, again, on the other hand, the question that you uh, kind of started off uh, with was that there are arts, there is, and again, arts takes many forms. I mean, they are creative efforts. It could be literature. Uh, and again, the thing is, there are people who come up with kind of almost instinctual response to this. That could be Amrita Pritam's uh, uh, poetry, Hun Akha Varas Shanu, that's in Punjabi. Because again, the thing is, as far as partition is concerned, the most uh, effect that it has on uh, South Asia is on the Punjab. Because okay. this is where you have the transfer, forced uh, mm. transfer of people, forced migration, not transfer, migration of people from one side uh, to the other. And by some estimates, again, we don't have an exact figure. 14 million people are supposed to have moved from one side to the other. And by uh, many accounts, that's the largest migration in the human history yeah. over such a span, uh, short span of time. After that, what happens is that there is this almost kind of stunned silence that people who are uh, creative writers, they are not really able to come up with the responses because you don't really know something like happened uh, uh, with the Holocaust that how could you kind of conceptualize yeah. the scale of what it is that had happened. Uh, but, but then later on, you have uh, almost kind of, you know, five, ten years uh, pass and you know uh, uh, mantos stories are collected there are other people who are writing and it then takes little while more um, a, a kind of not a strategic distance but there is some emotional distance uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is established and then you have almost this third round of uh, of of efforts um, just may, you know film uh, which I think it's one of the best films on uh, partition that 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 comes out. You have people like uh, uh, Gujral Saab, like Gujral Saab uh, from India. Uh, he paints this beautiful uh, uh, picture, beautiful as in very moving uh, pictures. Um, you have Jimmy Engineer uh, in Pakistan who kind of looks at this huge uh, landscape. Of, of of what it is that, that, that that's happening. So uh, you this is like almost like third attempt. Or the fourth attempt uh, which is happening is kind of using 
material things uh, Anjal, Anjal Malhotra has written on this. So this is the second or almost like the third generation trying to recover right. the narratives okay. of partition. Hmm. So, you know, Anjal Malhotra talks about, you know, for people who use uh, for cloth cutting, you have this scale. Um, I, I don't really know what, what, what one would call it, but it's like a long uh, piece of a rod which has like numbers in, encrypted on it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll say, okay, now this is two feet when you're cutting uh, cloth when you go to a market, they use that. Yeah. Okay, so that so a family which brought that there is a story how mm. that uh, a kind of you know inanimate object in itself, yeah. yet it has a story. Okay, okay. okay. that's very interesting. So, so uh, there are a number of uh, people who are now uh, uh, talking uh, representing uh, partition representing the almost kind of Aparna Kaur is someone I think like you know she's done uh, a work on mm. on, uh, on the paintings so you have what is almost kind of literal weight or a metaphorical weight of partition on your back so you okay. have people kind of you know going with, mm. with with things which they might have had on the on their on the on the on their shoulder on their back but that's not just literal representation. There's a metaphorical representation of almost intergenerational trauma mm. that is uh, carried. So, I mean, what is it that this thing does? Uh, this uh, a different medium, almost soft medium of uh, representing what it is that, you know, yeah. as an individual, as a community, as a country, people have gone through. So... I mean, as I said, state's narrative, you have to kind of either take it or leave it. Yeah, it's interesting for me to to hear about it like this, because I think I I didn't grow up here, but I learned about British India and the partition at school. And then we, it was reading uh, Manto's stories, which really hit it home to me, how colossal. And I read Mottled Dawn and I was just like, oh, my God, it. It was my first uh, interaction with mm. the kind of cultural representation of that. And it, I always, um, the distinction that you're making between the state and the non-state for me is very interesting when we look at it in terms of Bangladesh, because there you had this state narrative, which was that, okay, these are no longer the brothers that we told you these people were. They're very Hindu-like. Mm. They look very different from us. They don't speak our language. They're very different from us. So that kind of dehumanization so the sense of other, happened. Otherization yeah, the takes otherization place. takes place. So that took place during colonialism, the British and the yeah. non-British. Then it takes place during uh, India whenever there is conflict. So, okay, fine. You are Muslim League and you are Congress. Mm. Then it takes, oh, you know, you are uh, Muslim and I am Hindu and, you know, someone else is a Sikh. Then it takes place, oh, you know, these are uh, uh, rural communities, these are urban settings. So, again, that otherization, it never really stops. Yeah. So, one would have imagined, again, the narrative uh, uh, when one is kind of, why, and Fanon talks about this, that, you know, when you're aspiring towards uh, 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 an independence from uh, colonization, you think that, okay, fine, you know, once these people go, everything will be honky-dory. It doesn't work out like that. Mm. So, you know, in that, you know, for example, Muslim League, and again, I think Dinesh Kandiyoti talks about this, 
that you have, for example, uh, it was said that even these Muslims are regressive and they, mm. you know, they kind of, again, the typical narrative that you have now, they oppress their women and this and that and all that stuff. So what the Muslim League did was that they made a deliberate effort. They said, you know, our women should come out and they should be in the public and all that. All. So once independence is attained, mm. not just in Pakistan, but in other places, what you have is then the patriarchal control tries to exert itself. It says, okay, fine, now, you know, you've done this, but now I think like maybe let's go back to traditional rules. Traditional okay. rules that might have, and that happened in... Uh, uh, in Britain, so women were involved in jobs and like so many other mm. things because men were on the war front. But once these people come back, then they want the restoration of traditional orders. Yes. And yeah. if you try to resist that, then then you say, oh no, no, you're too modern or you know you are not yeah. kind of patriotic enough. With the national project is more important. Why are you worried about mm. you know women and so all, all again, what one is saying is that these aren't necessarily debates which are peculiar to Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. They take place in most of uh, uh, these post-colonial... Because yeah. uh, uh, you had uh, that academy. picture of that Rosie the Riveter, like yes. what is she doing for the yeah. war effort yeah. in the UK? Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah. the minute but these men came back, they were like, yeah. we want our jobs back. Yes. And the women were like, no, we're no. so used to financial security now and independence. So then, and so then, then it said, Could you, oh, you know, modesty, these are... Too modern, these are too westernized, mm. uh, or maybe you don't want to kind of you know follow our cultural norms, and then you right. bring in a religion, then you bring yeah. in a family. So there are all these things which are there uh, to use to kind of put the genie back. But mm. the thing is that becomes a problem. Mm. So again, not just in, in in Pakistan. This is something which is replicated in number of uh, other 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 places. Uh, but uh, again, the thing is that these various perspectives, what it does is that it adds complexity to understanding a complex problem. Yeah. And to what extent do you think that that's changed going forward? Because I feel like it used to be the literary or cultural elite which were able to tell these stories and now you've kind of have had that change a little bit given social media given a kind of democratization of producing content anyone who has an iphone now can produce something on their phones mm -hmm. and that's like tiktok has taken off so much because you have a you know a baloti brick hill worker who is now making money yeah, off tiktok yeah, 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 and yeah. so to what extent do you think that that has changed the ability of the state to create a narrative and push it on people? I think that, that that's an important uh, question and I think like in number of cases the established creators of narrative are not necessarily aware of the power uh, that these new mediums oh, have. Oh really? Okay. The state for example I mean if you say you know as you mentioned you know someone from a village in you know far-flung village in Balochistan would have, I don't know, 500,000 or, you know, 100,000 yeah. or, you know, some astronomical number of people who are following him or her. On the other hand, you wouldn't necessarily have similar version. One is not saying that the state can use, but the thing, again, why is it that I, sitting in a Balochistan, mm. can use a TikTok and have my message so many people? Why is it not that Islamabad or Lahore or yeah. other people who take themselves too seriously. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the sense, what has happened is that, again, this uh, 
almost revolution in communication that has taken place. As I said, like again, the established creators of narratives are not aware of these things. They lack the expertise. Mm. You look around and so ask, you know, government of Pakistan, ask government of Punjab, who are your social media experts? Who, and again, the thing is me saying that, okay, fine, I've studied social media at Oxford or Cambridge or King's College or Lums or Koyor, mm -hmm. but and how many people are following me? Yeah. On the other hand, I say, no, I'm from Shakargarh because that's my, where my village is. And, you know, there are people, you know, as I said, like, again, they have literally millions of people who are their followers. So that means that there is catching up mm. that the state needs to be engaged in, but more often than not, they are not engaged in that. So one, um, I knew someone who was working in development and they were looking at all of the Twitter accounts that people follow and the state wanted to get across the message. And it was, I mean, it was something very, uh, you know, non-offensive to everyone, but they were like, who is the least offensive character that we uh, can pull in personality that we can pull in to send this message? And they, uh, they made a list of all of the Pakistanis that it could be. They found out it was Shai the Fuiti because he's the one who is the least offensive to the mullahs, <laughs> everybody across yeah, the spectrum. They, they, then they try to play safe. Again, these are things mm. that this is what the social media does that I can be not necessarily offensive, but I can be uh, thought-provoking. Okay. Yeah. But then the thing is, if you're looking at it, again, this is the whole thing that the state and again, these stuffy people um, including people like myself in, I think uh, I'm today. very stuffy as well. <laughs> so they are not aware because the thing is they are not kind of self-assessing mm. the ability because like I would think oh you know when I've done a PhD and I've you know come from abroad and this and that and I know about these things yeah. and this guy look at him I mean he's running a food show in, in, in the village and but, you have... But my issue with that is if you take a film like Joyland, which did get banned here, for me, that is the same thing. It is like this literary elite who goes and kind of preys on this marginalized community for their content, which is the transgender community. And of course, the West loves that. And so I kind of look at that with the... With an eye of the two, two of my students well. are in this in okay. terms of the yeah. and one of the people acting in it. But again, the thing is, why are we so afraid of that? In terms of if we are saying that, oh, you know, that is somehow going to misrepresent Pakistan. I don't think it would misrepresent Pakistan. I'm like, why is this film the film no, that but again, you know that's, the, that's the, the West that, wants that, to see? Again, the thing is, that's not the first time. I mean, like you know, why? were other quote-unquote controversial things which were accepted in the West because the West wants to believe certain things about, you know, these exactly. kind of... Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, just like everyone else, you're selling certain things and the thing is that they are the ones who are powerful because you're living in not post-colonial but neo-colonial time period. Yeah. Then they for the sake of simplicity they are looking for a continuity that you know so mm -hmm. you have someone who's kind of a native informant exactly. that okay so yeah. your name is Muhammad Aslam and you're educated wherever but the thing is you are still able to kind of talk about uh, Pakistan and you say you know these are you know terrible things which are happening yeah. so I as a westerner I'm extremely happy look 
you know, this is what I was saying all along, but this is not me saying, this is Muhammad Aslam exactly. saying this. So, but yeah. the thing is, why we were not going to change that. I mean, in terms of as human beings, as societies, we try to look for projections of whatever narrative that we have about certain things. The issue is that rather than, you know, the state or someone else coming up with, with, with narratives mm. which compete against that. Why should you say that, oh, you know, let's ban it. Banning yeah, it I agree ban with that. Banning it doesn't. Yeah, banning it doesn't. The not, reason but... Western knowledge, uh, uh, and again, of course, this is a huge generalization, but in terms of, uh, if you read, you know, Sayyid's Orientalism, one of the things that he says that the reason a particular idea gets perpetuated over time is that the knowledge creation changes over time. Okay. So, U.S. key example, like, you know, you would, and again, I know that the word is uh, offensive, but I mean, I am using it as uh, advisedly in terms of in the 20s and 30s, you could call people, these are niggers. Mm. But then it was felt that by like around 70s and 80s, that wasn't the right one. So you said, no, now we call them Negroes. Yes. Then you said, oh, you know, maybe that's not politically right. Now you call them African-Americans. Yeah. But it is Blacks always, it yeah. is always the people at the disadvantaged position mm. whose names, whose association gets changed. We never change the Caucasians. Hai. Yeah. The whites, hmm. so the people, so the people in position, they don't necessarily change. What happens is that new knowledges are created. But hmm. the thing is, knowledge is created not for this altruistic. Right. Thing. Knowledge right, is political. Right. Knowledge is subjective. Knowledge, in terms of if I'm the one who's creating a particular knowledge, then that is going to be based on the experience and the ideology and whatever it is that I represent. Mm. So, again, if one is saying that from here, there are certain knowledges you cannot, and again, that's what the state is trying to do. It kind of feeds into the point that I was saying earlier on, uh, which is that uh, state is still not aware of these the potential of these multiple hmm. uh, narratives. So the way I see the language thing is just a form of signaling. And it's a very elite form of signaling, which is like, no, you do not understand. You can't use that term anymore. This is the right term. And I remember seeing when I was on Twitter, a tweet about how someone was protesting that you shouldn't call them transgenders, it's transgender persons. Yeah. And yeah. you know, when you're just like, okay, the constant policing of language just ends up um, first of all, you kind of pigeonhole yourself into this echo chamber where certain groups can't enter because they've used the long, wrong language yeah, and that yeah, makes them racist, yeah, that makes them yeah, bigoted, yeah. so they're out. Um, and also you you ensure that they're out of the room and that the room stays in between yourselves See, type again, thing. Again, that becomes kind of a slippery slope that yes, as I said, that again, the changing of the terms is something which needs to be accepted and of course I mean, the reason why a particular term becomes offensive is that because you attach new meanings yeah. to it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, kiri achadi paakis kana. So the thing is, agar usko if I appropriate it, hmm. and I'm talking to friends and say, hey, you know, you paaki. So yeah. again, one way is that oh, you know, maybe have I internalized this? Yeah. The word in itself 
there is nothing wrong with words hmm. okay isme you know you go back and study of language in terms of the signified and the signifier in terms of what i say and the ob- i say that you know uh, a glass glass doesn't mean this hmm. this is this is a completely arbitrary connection that we have so words mm. are what words are just mere sounds mm. it's the meaning that we associate with it so yeah. earlier on if you said uh, i don't know nigger it meant you're talking about someone who has particular features and particular complexion the word in itself doesn't mean anything comrade mm. what does comrade mean comrade means a friend but yeah. the thing is if you called someone a comrade even now then the thing is it oh you know maybe you must be marxist you must be socialist you must be frana you mm. whatever so again these are things that we which need to be uh, under understood uh, unfortunately more often than not they mm. are not which is one of the reasons i mean like again twitter or facebook or you don't think that you know the place where they are created from there are certain knowledges which are now created which are directed against for example say us or uk yeah. using these medias of course there are mm. but there the narrative creation from the state is strong enough yeah. is complex yeah. enough it says okay fine you know you have your uh, freedom mm. and you can there are certain things that you can say then of course it deems certain things and i think the way they do it is so much more insidious because it is, it is so much more subtle of course it is and yet but we go is, so heavy handed with our propaganda that you're just like come on like simple. yeah that's, yeah that's, that's the whole point mm. that's why i was saying that you know the people who are in these stuffy positions and they say no 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 this is the way it has to yeah. be okay so the thing is that you can say in a particular setting but as soon as you go out of that setting your narrative appears like such simplistic childish yeah. and you cannot defend that mm. on the other hand if there is a certain amount of complexity which is involved then that narrative you are able so again that's the thing so the desire is for the states to control mm. but it's how do you control things yeah yeah okay so i mean this is one of the thing that tell my students that you know in a developing country you have so or you used to have so much more freedom in the sense that maybe if the state wanted uh, to observe or keep you under investigation they would assign a person or whatever so you would have the person shadow you and this and that but in the west it is that you have the concentration of information that i just needed to type your social security mm-hmm. number or your national insurance number and i can find out you know where your car is and where you got your yeah. petrol from and you know which hotel you use and mm. which tv just kind of at, at the click of a button so what has happened post 9/11 is that the western states have invested lot of money in a developing country mm. and so now you have all those things which were there so you have your smart card and you have your uh, because what is it that it does is does it, it brings the data in, yeah, in one place yeah. so now the most uh, kind of in the next 5 or 10 years the most desirable field is data analysis yeah, you have big no, data and yeah. what is big data big data is in terms of your everyday communication patterns all that stuff so the point is that rather than saying no we are not going to allow this mm. but because you can't prevent it can't you no 
स्टेट आइडियोलॉजी और द वेस्टर्न वे ऑफ थिंकिंग इज ऑफ इंडिविजुअल फ्रीडम बट द थिंग इज सर्टन लॉज आर इनेक्टेड यूजिंग द सिक्योरिटी काइंड ऑफ पैराडाइम टू से ओके नो नॉट फॉर द अमेरिकन हु आर हेयर बट फॉर पाकिस्तानीज यू कैन ऑब्जर्व दीज थिंग बट द थिंग इज इवेंचुअली देन दीज थिंग्स कम बैक टू द अमेरिकन बिकॉज आई थिंक स्पेशली पोस्ट नाइन when you had it with british pakistanis and american muslims generally you had that concept of the native informant which is that you had these informer muslims who would go into these mosques try and find out everything and they would be told to do that by the fbi because the fbi would say we have this on you yeah. and it would be like some small kind of yeah. drugs charge yeah. Yeah. that Whatever. you were in possession and then, of course and, and then, the coercive yeah. means am i six use kar raha tha yeah, yeah. Raha tha. i'm sure yahan pe there will be people using using that but again that those they should not come as a surprise because mm-hmm. the thing is that the state uses coercive uh, uh, methodology because because they are not able to come up with a counter narrative to uh, the multiple narratives which exist what what about say okay Kashmir. I feel like Pakistan has a very strong narrative about Kashmir, no, and yet you have, <laughs> and yet you that's have. Just, that's, that's just that's just you I saying. I mean, if it was if, if it was such a strong narrative, yeah. how many people are supporting? That? No, as in, okay, we we have. It's a terrible narrative. A long-standing uh, principle position. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, as we in we a, know, and yeah. we have a very oppressive and brutal Indian army and its actions in Kashmir. And so you have mm. stuff coming out like the Kashmir files, and Absolutely. you have kind of uh, what was our? We had a documentary, and it was about the Saffron Brigade, about India's descent into madness, essentially. Um, So on that front, because you can see India doing this and work. Like we were just talking before yeah. we came on, we were talking about Bhutan, and I don't know if you read the plot or watched the movie. I mean, I would I never watch the movie. I, I, I movie. You don't watch, Body, but it was an insane narrative about how the ISI responds to. Um, Article three seventy being abrogated was mm. to spread smallpox in in India. Like it was an insane narrative, and then you're like, this film has yeah, done India, like three hundred crore. Need, like you know, smallpox again. The thing is, unfortunately, COVID ne wo cheeze wo kar di mitti because it was such a badly managed affair. Mm. Uh, and again, I mean, they have their own uh, issues, but I think like again, the thing is, the state oppressive. apparatus as far as again kashmir is concerned that is in place mm-hmm. that is in place that should not be a surprise but the issue is again somehow the narrative that has been built by pakistan it is i personally again mm-hmm. the thing is again i i feel that it could be more sophisticated yeah. if they want to get across to people because just showing it on ptv on having yeah. kind of these you know sad music playing and then stock files i don't really know what it mm. is that it does yeah. okay so you know engage 
good PR firms engage people who yeah, know about uh, 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 this communication lobby. Mm. But on the other hand, India, because it is such a big uh, economic market, all these, that's why, again, the knowledge that one is kind of saying, just, you know, for us, you say that, okay, you, know, you can see that these are atrocities which are taking place. Yeah. But the thing is, why? So it's not the knowledge that matters. It's the politics of that knowledge. Because yeah. India is, uh, in terms of so much bigger in the economic size, so economic interests are tied in. Hmm. Okay, the US is happy to talk about Afghanistan and this yeah. and that and all that stuff. It will not talk about similarly uh, with Israel at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, and which is kind of understandable that I mean, Pakistanis we are very reluctant to talk about China. Okay? Yeah. So we are unhappy about uh, the Muslims in Kashmir, but we're saying okay. Fine. But I feel like that's a little bit of a false equivalence. Do you not think? Because that's what be. Israel says it, as it well. It could be. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I'm, Again, completely taken. But I'm mm. just saying that, again, even the position that everyone takes, the point is not for you to say that, okay, fine, this is the way to win, to win the argument. No. Issue is see why the other person is supporting that. Yeah. And then try to, again, there is always a counter-narrative for something. Mm. Whatever position that you have, if I want to bring out another narrative, then what are some of the things that I can get? How is it that I can further uh, TikTok? I mean, like mm. get two or three good people who are TikTok specialists, yeah. employ them for uh, Kashmir. Maybe you will have a larger traction. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, the issue is these are battle of ideas. Mm. You can't just say that because I am the state and I am this institution and you have it doesn't work like that. Mm. You know, people would listen to you just because I'm not being uh, critical, just because I'm not uh, kind of responding back mm. doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with your message. So I think you need to constantly self-assess. Okay. Yeah. So uh, again, otherwise, I mean, it, it's, it's fantastic that Pakistan for so long that they've stuck with that straight yeah, message. Yeah. But the thing is, what's the attraction that you're able to get? Because the thing is, the other side is involved in this as mm. well. They are involved on more fronts. And they're a much bigger power. They are, they are much bigger their power. Economic they have their economic leverage is yeah. much more. So all those things. Mm. So rather than kind of saying, oh, you know, our narrative has been successful or failure, you need mm. to see what is it that you're fighting against. A country that has, I don't know, 100 times your uh, GDP and, you know, in terms of population, in terms of the interaction that it has. But uh, it's interesting because I really feel like this soft power narrative in the states which are pushing it. I mean, you can see that with Korea. Never before would you have been able to think that you'd Pakistan, have teenage girls in Pakistan, Pakistan like Pakistan, singing Korean Pakistan, songs. Pakistan. Or like state. Turkey with Erdogan. As a huge fan of okay. <laughs> and again, not no great glory of Islam, but as someone who loves the representation of family yeah. and the cultural norms. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm able, I was able to relate to it, for example, because my parents are from uh, uh, border villages with India, mm -hmm. and I remember that, for example, when I would go to see my grandmother, and then you know she would kind of give her blessings, and you know she'd say, oh, you know, may you the journey go well mm. and maybe you come home and all, all that stuff. So for me, just breaking up the bread, these are 
good or bad, but these are traditions that one is aware of. Yeah. So for me, yeah. I mean, in that sense, uh, I'm, I'm not looking for great glory of Islam because this is a fictional, uh, uh, it is a real person, but I mean, the story is fictional. But uh, it's undeniable that that makes you feel good. In yeah, some of course way. it makes yeah. you feel good. I mean, like as I said, like in class, having, you know, grown up watching Hollywood and yeah. Bollywood movies of, you know, Chuck Norris and Schwarzenegger and who else, you know, going and killing thousands and thousands of Muslims or natives or others. The funny thing is that you have like three or four people in Arthabol and, you know, kind of joke around and I tell students at least by the time, you know, you reach the end, they must have killed at least seven or eight thousand <laughs> non-Muslims. So sure. it's just a kind of a payback in a way, mm. of, you know, of course, whatever uh, 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 that, that, that might be. Yeah. But again, the thing is soft power. If it the state sponsored that on the other hand you know you have ispr but that is so hard it's too sponsored. on the nose yeah it's so I mean, on the nose that you're not no, able to engage not, with it yeah, like yeah. i mean like something okay, it wasn't the us for example sponsoring the air force sponsoring you know uh, top gun, top gun yeah, and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is again you have to have that distinction but yeah. then again, and apparently after the first top gun movie came out 500% increase yeah, in recruitment yeah, to yeah, the yeah, aviator yeah, navy yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so again and and that's so just one example yeah. it, it works so closely i mean in the sense look at um, you know last 10 years of uh, of hollywood and you know who is the new emergent uh, villain is going to be a chinese person mm. yes Early yeah, on, it's it was very the Muslim. So, but but you know, you, you it was asked the them, Russians, and yeah, then it was it brown. was Muslims. <laughs> yeah, then it and was now, Muslims, it's Chinese. now it's Chinese. Yeah. And but the thing is, you talk about it. So, no, no, we are independent, of yeah. course. But it's, it's rubbish. And um, I found out that they change the films when they're being broadcast in China. So they record different could, scenes could for them to be released yeah. in China so, because so, they know again, that they're. Again, what I'm saying is that these are sophisticated processes. Yeah. You cannot have one person. DG saab bethe me hai. And he's going to tell him it's always a he, middle-aged yeah, men, yeah. you know, Mirewali HQ who are so kind of caught up mm -hmm. because they're so insecure uh, in their own limited knowledge that they do not allow newer uh, uh, kind of again. And it goes back to the point that I had made in the first instance, which is that the state is kind of in this stifled and stiff People who are in charge mm. of the state narrative, they are not aware. By the time they catch up with the soft technology, again, I would bet with you, go and talk to the top people in, in, in culture or information ministry. They wouldn't know how to operate all the things which are outdated almost now. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, TikTok, all these things. So if they are not aware, mm. then the thing is someone who is working under me, he or she comes up and then I mean, I start to feel threatened. So again, mm. it, is, it is this reluctance to embrace uh, new knowledges because their own knowledge is not updated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you definitely get that impression, especially when with all of these boomers, you're just like, are you guys still 
you know, wanting to reply to emails with a fax machine. That's the impression you get. So how are you going to tell us what, <laughs> under this yeah, new digital yeah, economy, yeah, what yeah, types yeah, of things yeah. we should you know, use? There is, there is, ask them, like, what's cryptocurrency? They wouldn't have a clue. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a clue, but I don't work in it. So, yeah. Again, that's what I'm saying. That yeah. for someone who belongs to my generation, mm-hmm. okay, and, you know, people in government, they, they would be what? They would be in their 50s. The thing yeah. is, you ask them, what are the new things which are happening? They wouldn't have a clue. And uh, in, in, in the West, you have this idea of continuation of new knowledges. Mm. So there are these multiple positions. Okay, fine. You know, you are sitting in, if you're talking about UK, Newcastle, may better. there's someone at Cambridge, there's someone at Oxford, there is, uh, you know, other people. That channels of communication, of acknowledging almost this archaeology of knowledge that exists. Mm. So, uh, you know that the information, wherever it is created, it somehow gets funneled into one place where these things can be analyzed. Yeah, yeah. In our cases, that's that's really tough. So, you need, if you want to become uh, sophisticated, you need to develop mechanisms through which you can become sophisticated. Just saying, and we are great Pakistanis and... You know, because I have studied abroad or because I have this important, those are silly terms. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I definitely think I like that term archaeology. Of, uh, yeah, education. that's not my term. I mean, that's, that's again, <laughs> but I mean, I think, Foucault has used it okay, or someone yeah. else has used it. But I think, I think, yeah, there is a dire need to invest in this and to to push that narrative. And yeah. otherwise, like otherwise you'll not catch up. Yeah, yeah. You'll always be kind of yeah. behind the proverbial eight ball. Yeah, I feel like we could carry on this discussion for a long time, but I know that you have to leave. So uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. I hope everyone at home also found this interesting. And join us for another podcast about war next time. Thank, thank you. you. Sorry, thank you very much uh, for giving me this opportunity. Thanks, really like no, this was really great. Thank, thank you. you.